Thank you for joining us for the True Life Fellowship Church podcast. Here is today's message from Pastor Devon Alexander. Welcome, Pastor Jamie Pearson, to the platform. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I want to read, I just want to read a quick verse, one verse, Romans 1.12 in the Passion Translation. It says, now this means that when we come together and are side by side, something wonderful will be released. Are you expecting tonight something wonderful to be released? We can expect to be co-encouraged and co-comforted by each other's faith. Amen. Amen. You're going to be encouraged tonight, and you're going to be comforted tonight Amen. by each other's Amen. faith. I love you, brother. Have your way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Let's just lift up our hands and one more time thank the Lord for every good thing He's doing. Father, we worship You tonight. We are so grateful, Lord, to You. We're so grateful for You. We're thankful for Your Word. We come before Your Word tonight with eyes wide open and ears wide open. We come with a heart wide open. We have eyes that see Jesus. We have ears that hear His voice. We have hearts that understand who we are in Him, who He is in us. We thank You for the firm foundation that Your Word is beneath our feet. We stand on it. We walk on it. And it supports us and strengthens us and holds us up and sustains us all the days of our lives, all the days of our families and our ministries. And we give You all the thanks and the praise for it. Come on, every hand lifted up right now. Every heart lifted up. Every voice. You've got something to be thankful for. You've got something to be grateful for. You can't think of anything, take a deep breath. Thank Him for that. And for the next one, and the next one, and the next one, Lord, we thank You. Lord, we thank You. We are a thankful, thankful, thankful group of people. Because You have been faithful, faithful, faithful. Faithful to Your Word, to watch over it and perform it in our lives. Faithful to Your people. And we thank You. We worship you. We worship you. You know, the scripture says that the eyes of the Lord are going across this whole earth. And he's looking. The word says he's looking for somebody to show himself strong to. But what he's looking for, the Bible says, is a heart that is toward him. A heart that is, I believe the scripture uses the word perfect. Now don't let that word throw you, don't let that word fool you. He's not looking for flawlessness. He's looking for somebody that's wholehearted. Wholehearted, that's what it means. And I believe as he scans the earth, it's almost like radar, right? Come on, help me out. There you go. Say this after me. There you go. I believe he's coming and he's looking and he's searching. And we might not be a huge group. There might only be, what, two, three thousand of us in here tonight. That's all right. Sorry, I've never been good with numbers, but I believe as he comes across and he's looking for people that are wholehearted towards him, he gets closer and closer to us. Amen. Right? Come on. And it's so easy to be wholehearted towards Him. And that's what He's looking for. With Him, it's always about the heart. Always. With Him, it's always about the heart. And it begins with just saying, Lord, 
I'm wholehearted towards you. I'm, I'm wide open to you. So before we dig in tonight, can we just let him know that, that we are wide open to him. Don't, don't be closed off in anything. Be wide open to whatever he would say, whatever you see in his word, that maybe something you've not seen before, maybe something you've seen before, but it hits you in a new way, but you're open. Come on, somebody say it. I'm open. Wide open. Lord, whatever you would say, we're wide open and wholehearted towards you. And if you are looking for a group of people to show yourself strong to, look no further, Lord. We're wide open to you. Thank you for being strong and showing yourself strong towards us. We give you praise for it and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Devon, Stacy, thank you guys. This is a privilege and an honor. And I think I remember those stories a little differently than you do, but <laughs> no, I do. I think the Lord said in the beginning, I want you to take six months and the next, next six months, just show him that you love him. And uh, so I don't want you thinking, <laughs> I just called and bailed on him. Um, I still love this man, love this church, love this family. I love all these kids they got running around here. Don't you love the little Alexander kids you see running around? All the Z's. I tried to tell him, I think when you were last pregnant, and I don't know if you guys at that time knew if we were having a boy or a girl, I said, you know, Zeremy is a, it's a really good name. I don't know if it's any, in any of the books, the children's names books or anything like that, but you just, just think about it, Zeremy. So next one, right? Yeah. <laughs> he was nodding. He was like, yeah, Stacy, he wants another one. You have to talk to him. Amen. Did you bring a Bible with you tonight? Open with me, please, once again to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we began this morning. If you weren't with us this morning, I'll just, not to make you feel bad, but we had a great time together, but we are glad you're here tonight. We've been going back over some of the basics, and my heart has just been pulling me back in that direction to go back to the things that make us who we are. Make us who we are as believers, but even beyond that, who we are as people of faith. And I'll remind you once again about the conversation Moses had with God in the book of Exodus. And he, basically, God was frustrated with the people because they were so stubborn. And we'll talk some more about that tonight. But man, it got serious because God told Moses, listen, I'll send an angel, but I ain't going with you. And just to kind of summarize what he said, if I went with you, I'd probably kill you. <laughs> this is the most stubborn group of people I've ever seen in my entire life. It kind of gives you a glimpse into what God's not a big fan of. I don't think he likes stubbornness any more today than he liked it then. He said, I'm not going with you. But Moses very wisely said something to him that you and I should be saying, some, should be saying to him often. Moses said to him, if you ain't going, we ain't going. He said, don't, don't take us up from here if you're not going with us. You know, you should be telling him the same thing about directions you're taking in your life. If you ain't going, we ain't going. Come on, if he ain't going, we ain't going. And that's what Moses was saying to him. Don't even bother bringing us up from here because how will anybody know that we're your people? If you don't go with us, how's anybody going to know that we're different? And that's the word he used. And that's what, who and what you and I are. We are different. 
And like I mentioned to you before, if you just get that feeling that you're just, you're just different, you just live different, talk different, believe different, pray different, you feel different from everybody else in your life, it's for good reason. You are. So deal with it. You and I need to just deal with it and get over it. Because who's interested in normal? I mean, I'm telling you the truth. If normal, you look around you and normal is depressed and normal is sick and normal is broke and normal is always lacking and coming behind. Who's got time for normal? Color me different, man. I, I, I want to be different. And we're going back over some of these things that make us different, make us who we are and what we are. And you're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, let me just read to you one more time this word of the Lord that came through uh, my grandfather, Brother Kenneth Copeland, back in November of 2011. But I think as we read it, you're going to find that this word is just as relevant in the spring of 23 as it was in the fall of 2011. The, war- the Lord spoke and said, I have a great storehouse. Much more has been stored up in the storehouses of riches beyond your wildest dream that I laid up for you before the foundation of the world. Much more is stored up there than what the church has ever called for. I have not held back on the church, says the Lord, and the, and the God of plenty. I've made it available to you. I put it in my word. I gave you promise and stood behind it with the blood, the precious blood of your Savior. But there has been a backwardness in my people about laying hold of the things that I've provided for you. But I will say this. There is a people in the land. There is a people around the world. There is a people strong and mighty and growing much stronger and much mightier and more bold to lay hold and put their claim of faith on the things that I have laid up for you. And it thrills me because it's been yours all the time, says the Lord. And this, is, this goes right back to what we were saying a moment ago. There is a people and God is looking for that people. He's scanning the whole earth, searching for that people, those who will be bold to lay hold. And it takes some boldness to lay hold of the things that God has for us. Let's talk more about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, begin once again in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is that anybody in here? Well, good news, you're a new creation. You're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses or their sins to them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is who we are. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. And like we said earlier today, this is what's right with us. And in a world where people live intensely and acutely and constantly aware of everything that is wrong with them and they're ready to talk it 
at the drop of a hat. They're ready to tell you and anybody else who will listen everything that's wrong with them. This is much of what social media has become. Let me tell you what's wrong with me. Actually, what's become is let me tell you what's wrong with you. But either way, it's people (laughs) focused on what's wrong. And the tendency of the flesh is to identify what's wrong. You feel what's wrong. And then you talk it, talk it, talk it. And the problem with talking it, talking it, talking it is every time you give voice to it, you're magnifying it. You're magnifying it. Now, let me ask you this. What happens when you magnify something? Come on, say it out loud. I hear you say it. It gets bigger. Every time I ask people that, what happens when you magnify, that's the same answer I get. It gets bigger. But let me ask you, does it? Like if you take a magnifying glass and put it on the words that are on these pages, what happens to these words? And you say, well, it gets bigger. Well, not really. It just gets bigger to you. It just gets bigger in your eyes. When you magnify a problem, you can talk about a problem, you can talk about a pain, you can talk about a lack, you can talk about anything that's wrong, and you can talk about it so much that you magnify it to the point where it's all you see. It completely takes up the full field of your vision. And in your eyes, this thing is huge. This problem is massive. What are we going to do? How are we going to fix it? What could we possibly do to make it right? And in actuality, this thing is the same stupid little thing it was six months ago. But you just spent the last six months talking it, talking it, talking it to the point where it's so big you don't see anything else. That's what happens when you magnify something. But what did David say in the book of Psalms? He said, come magnify the Lord with me and let us do what? Exalt his name together. He said, come on, let's do this together. Yes, you should be waking up every day of your life magnifying the Lord. You can magnify the Lord on your own, in your home, in your car, in your office, wherever you are, you can magnify the Lord. But something happens when we magnify the Lord together and we exalt his name. How? Together. It's group activity. Now, let me ask you this. When you magnify God, what's happening? Is he getting bigger? (laughs) No. He's already as big as big gets. He is definitively big. You're not making him bigger. You are not changing his size. But when you magnify him, he is getting bigger to you. He is and can be getting bigger in your eyes, bigger and bigger and bigger in your eyes until he's all you see. So instead of just living all the time with this awareness, well, this is wrong and this hurts and I got pain in my body and I got pain in my family and I got pain in my soul and pain in my heart and pain in my bank account and I got pain, pain, pain. Instead of focusing all our time and attention on what's wrong, find out what's right. I got a question for you tonight. What's right with you? I'm not asking what's wrong with you. I know you got stuff. I got stuff. We all got stuff. What's right with you? Something's right with you. Come on, say it out loud. Something's right with me. 
Something is very, very right with me. Look at your neighbor. Tell them something's right with you. You got something right with you. And what is it? According to this verse, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what's right with you. That's what makes you who you are. And it's not what will be, going to be, might be right with you later on. You got something right with you right now. This is right with you right now. Now, I know your pastor and I know this church. I know the DNA of this church. We got the same blood running through our veins. And it's faith blood, man. I know, I know the culture of this place. I know you've been trained to use your words and make confession. But I'm going to lead you in a confession. And I got to give you fair warning before I do. Because the confession I want to lead you in right now requires more faith than a confession of healing when you're sick, a confession of abundance when you're broke, a confession of joy when you're depressed. I want to lead you in a confession, but I promise you this, it requires every ounce of faith you have. Are you willing to make it? Say this after me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That takes all the faith you've got. You want to know why? Because you've got eyeballs and you can see everything that's wrong with you. You know better than anybody else and everybody else. The mistakes, the flaws, the ways you've missed it. You know the same habitual things that you have missed it in over and over and over again. I know that about me. You know that about you. And yet I declare I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what's right with me. And what I believe is that when I find out what's right with me, what's right with me will fix what's wrong with me. Amen. Now I'm going to give you one other confession. And this is the only one I can think of that actually requires more faith than the one I just led you in. Look at your neighbor. Say, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Now that takes some faith. If you're looking at your spouse, if you're looking at somebody you know really well, it takes some faith. But I'm going to tell you something, they are just as much the righteousness of God as you are. And if we had time, I'd take you through this whole passage. That's what this passage is about. You back up just a few verses, and this is where Paul said, by the Spirit of God, we don't regard anybody after the flesh anymore. What's he saying? They're the righteousness of God. This will change your marriage. This will change your family. This will change how you see people. When we got home from church today, I tuned into our church going on in Colorado, a couple of hours behind us here. And my wife was preaching and Sarah said something very powerful. She said, talking to people about relationships and in their marriage, she said, if you will change what you say, you'll change what you see. If you'll change what you say about your spouse, you'll change what you see in your spouse. And what we should be saying And what we should be acknowledging is not everything that's wrong with them, but everything that's right with them. You are. Oh, we like that confession. I am. I am. Bless God. (laughs) The righteousness of God in Christ. That's good. Take it to the next level. And when you're mad, 
And when you're fussing, when you're fighting, when you're arguing and all hell and strife has broken out in your house and you feel it welling up on the inside of you and you are about to let loose something that will end this argument, bless God, and put you on top, you point your finger at your spouse and you say, you know what you are? You know what you are? You, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And, and I'm going to leave it at that. That's what love says. That's what love does. You know what Paul said in the middle of all that? He said, it's the love of Christ that constrains us. That's right here in these verses. That's why he said, so we don't look at anybody after the flesh anymore. The love of God will not allow me to look at you after your flesh. The love of God requires, compels, constrains me to look at you through the blood of Jesus. And say, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what love says. That's what love does. Now what we're drawing our attention to here is, if we believe that, if we actually believed that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, that we have right relationship with Him, that our fellowship's been restored, that we've been reconciled, and that Everything is good between us and Him. I'm giving you a minute to find out if you actually believe that. It's one thing for me to stand here and say it and for us to shout about it. But if you'll be honest, you will recognize times when the enemy comes and wants you to believe that there's this great gulf between you and God. You hear people say it all. I just feel God is so distant. I just feel that God is so distant from me. Well, he's not. I don't really know what else to tell you. He's not. He dealt with the distance. He closed the distance. He did that for us. And he did that through Jesus. I was thinking about my kids. A few weeks ago, Sarah and I were out of the house and the kids were home by themselves. And uh, I called, I FaceTime checked in just to say, hey, how are things going? And these two love each other. I got a son. He's almost 13. My daughter, Jessie, she's nine, almost 10. And, and they're best buds. Uh, every now and then, the brother-sister thing shows up. And it happened to show up that day. And I called Justice. And I said, hey, how's it going, buddy? And he's, I could see the look on his face. Sissy's mad. <laughs> she's upset about something. So I sent them to their rooms via FaceTime. <laughs> and... Uh, I got home and we talked about it. We, we found out what the problem was and so on. But I really love how they handled it. My daughter, Jessie, wrote her brother, Justice, a note, an apology note. And uh, we still have it. It's really sweet. She, I'm sorry for acting that way. I shouldn't have done that. You're my best friend. I love you. My son, Justice, wrote a note back to her and went and stuck it on her door. And he said, I love you too. Best friends forever. Hug it out. That was the note. That was the question on the note. Hug it out. As a parent, that's how you want these things to end, right? Total reconciliation. Hug it out. I love it. This may be an oversimplification, but this is what I hear the Father saying to us through Jesus. We're good. Hug it out. Nothing but love between us. This is what makes us who we are. But if we believe that, 
evidence of our belief would show up in our lives. And we looked at this as evidence earlier today. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you, though. And it's from the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, verse 1. It says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous, the righteous, the righteous are bold as a lion. One of the defining characteristics of somebody who knows and believes that they are the righteousness of God in Christ is boldness. Boldness. If you really believed that He loved you and there was nothing but love between you, there'd be a boldness. And this is why He said and invited us to come before His throne of grace. But do you remember how He said to come? Not just to come, but He gave you the way to come. What did He say? Come boldly. We come boldly before the throne of grace. Boldly before the throne? you got to remember, that's in the book of Hebrews. Why is that important? Well, he's writing to Hebrew people. And these are people who for generation after generation after generation were taught and trained, you don't go in there. You don't go right up to the throne. I mean, this goes all the way back to New Te- or excuse me, Old Testament. In the tabernacle, and you had the outer court, and you had the inner court. And there were very specific rules and very specific instruction about who got to go where. And God was very clear, y'all don't get to come in here. As a matter of fact, only one guy does. And he's that high priest. And I don't know if this is in the Word or just tradition, but you've heard it, right? Where they would tie that rope around him and they'd send him in. Why would they do that? Well, just in case you got some sin in you that you didn't know about or you forgot to acknowledge and repent of. And you go in there and you fall dead. We're dragging your dead self out. I ain't going to get you. It's kind of like if I'm not back in 15 minutes, you know. Why? That's how serious it was. And they were taught and they were trained and it was ingrained into them. You don't get to go in there. You got sin in you. You got sin on you. And nothing so unholy as you gets to come before this throne. And now, now he's writing to these people who've been taught and trained this their whole life. And he says, what? Come boldly? If I'm a Hebrew person hearing this for the first time, you know what I say? You go boldly. You go boldly and let's see what happens to you. You first, brother. I ain't going in there. But he's saying, no, 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 you don't get it. You don't get it. That's why I had to write to him and say, there's a new and living way. And we draw near by the blood of Jesus. What's he say? Come on in. It's good. You can come in. And not only can you come in, but you don't got to come dragging in. You don't got to come in with your head held low in shame. You don't have to come with this unworthy stuff coming out of your mouth. You and I can come boldly before the throne of grace and get all the grace and all the help and all the mercy that we need. Amen. And if you believe that you were righteous, that's how you'd come before God. You'd come boldly. It's a defining characteristic of those who are the righteousness of God and believe that they are the righteousness of God. He said, you're bold as a lion. 
And we looked at this out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 29, said their roaring will be like a lion. They will roar like young lions. Yes, they will roar and lay hold. Do you remember the word of the Lord that came that we were reading just a moment ago? There's a people that are growing much stronger and much mightier and more bold to lay hold and put their claim of faith on the things that I've laid up for you. This scripture right here helps us identify the boldness of a lion. They roar and they lay hold. And this morning we talked about the roar of the righteous. And tonight I want to talk about how to be bold to lay hold. Lay hold of the things that we have because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, I want to just let the word do some talking here. I've got several verses for you, and I can't say it any better than the Word of God says it. So let me just read some things to you. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith. Again, he's talking about your righteousness. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access. Somebody say access. Through Jesus, through Christ, we have access by faith into this grace. By faith into the grace. We have access to the grace. How do we have that access? By faith. What does faith give us? Access into what? Grace. We have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You hear some of the same thing in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. In whom, talking about Jesus, we have boldness. He said we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Do you see these things connecting? These things coming together. We've got boldness because of who we are in Jesus. We've got access because of who we are in Jesus. We've got access, and what is it access to? Grace. Grace. And you notice he didn't put any limitation on that grace. Grace is a lot like the app store. There's an app for that, and there's an app for that, and there's an app for that, and there's an app for that. Well, guess what? There's a grace for that, whatever that is. There's a grace for this, there's a grace for that, there's a strength, there's an anointing, there's an enabling, there's a help for anything and everything in this life. And you, as the righteousness of God in Christ, sitting there with something all right with you, have access to all that grace. All of it. Don't limit the grace. There are a lot of people that put emphasis on grace, but only on a little part of it. They get a taste of the grace of God in salvation, but fail to realize the same grace that saved you is the grace that'll heal you, is the grace that'll fix your marriage, is the grace that'll prosper and increase and promote you, and the grace that'll fill you with joy and and strengthen you. Amen? Amen. There's a grace for all of it. But sometimes people just get a little taste, and it's almost like they say, thanks for saving me, I'll take it from here. Why would you take it from here? I'm not taking it from here. Lord, you take it from here. Let's let's have you take it, right? 
Some of the best news you've ever heard comes from the book of James chapter four that says he gives more grace. More. Have you ever tasted of any of it? Have you? Have you been impacted and touched and blessed and changed by the grace of God? I have. Have you? Good news. There's more. There's more of that grace available. But how do we access it? Huh? Well, according to this, we access it by faith. Everything grace gives must be received by faith. Which is why I laugh when I hear so-called faith people talking about, about a so-called grace message or a so-called grace person looking down on a so-called faith message, isn't that just like the enemy? To try to get between people? And if he's going to try to get between anybody, it would be those people. Why? Because grace and faith are completely ineffective without each other. Are you listening? Completely ineffective without each other. You can focus and major on the grace of God and talk grace and preach grace and say you believe grace and all the wonderful things that grace is and grace does and grace is provided. But if you don't put faith in it, you'll never taste any of it. My wife, Sarah, said it like this. Grace sets the table. Faith eats. Oh, come on. Are you hearing me? Grace sets the table, faith does what? Eats. I mean, let's imagine for a moment that you were having people over to the house and you've worked hard to get it ready for everybody. And maybe some of you ladies, you gentlemen who are a good chef in the kitchen, you good cook, you know your way around the kitchen. You've been working for hours on this meal and you've got it all prepared and what, 6, 6.30, the first doorbell rings, first knock on the door, the first guest arrives, and then they come flooding in, and you've got, what, 10, 12, 15, 20 people in your house that you have worked and prepared for, and you've set the table, and they walk in, and it's beautifully set, and, and there's everything you can imagine on the table. And it's one course after another, and you've prepared it all beautifully. And every guest comes in, and they walk up to the table, and they look at it, and they go, wow, this is, this is beautiful. This is amazing. I've never seen a more beautiful meal prepared. Wow, you're an amazing chef. Oh, thank you, thank you. Wow. And they start walking around the table. Wow, doesn't that look good? Oh, did you see how good this looks? This is beautiful. Oh, that looks so delicious. Oh my goodness, that looks amazing. Look at this. Oh, it's so beautiful. And you're like, yeah, okay, great. Thank you. Wonderful. And they said, no, 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 no. I just want to tell you how wonderful it looks and how, how great and amazing and delicious it looks. What if they walked around your table for an hour and a half talking to you about how good everything looks And then at the end of that time, they said, well, we got to go. Thanks for having us. And they turn around, they walk out. And you're left standing there in an empty house with a beautifully set table. And nobody touched anything. 
Are you okay with that? As the one who worked to prepare it and make ready, are you good with that? No. No. What did you want them to do? Sit down, shut up, (laughs) and eat something. But do you know that's how people treat the things of God and the grace of God? Without faith, you're just walking around a table going, isn't God's grace wonderful? Isn't God's grace miraculous? Isn't God's grace delicious? Faith will sit down and eat. But faith people, if they don't ever attend to the grace of God, then what is there to receive? It's these two things working together. Remember, we're talking about being bold to do what? Lay hold. Grace is the hand of God that gives. Faith is the hand of man that receives. Amen. Amen. We have access into the grace by faith. In Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through Him. Just because you have access to all that grace has provided doesn't mean you'll ever enjoy any of it. What grace provides must be received by faith. And notice the connection here, boldness and access, boldness and access. Have you ever experienced being in a place with somebody And maybe you couldn't have got in there on your own, but because you're with them. You ever experienced that before? I'm with him, right? I'm with with them. Well, that's what Jesus said. He said, with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. When you're with him, you have access. And there's a certain boldness that comes up on the inside of you. And you need to learn to, to say that. When you met with challenges and you're, you're trying to access that grace and you're accessing the, the, the grace that'll meet the need and the enemy comes and tells you you are unworthy of this. The enemy lies to you and says that this may work for them or for that preacher, but it ain't working for you. You know what you say? <clears throat> I'm with him. I'm with him. And who's him? Jesus. With him, I got access and a little bit of boldness too, right? Boldness and access. Now look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Just letting the Word do the talking. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 12, you've heard this before. Fight the good fight of faith. And do what? Lay hold. Just because you've got access to the grace doesn't mean you're going to taste any of it. You've got to lay hold of it. He said, fight the good fight of faith lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I like this from the Weiss translation. It reads like this, be constantly engaging in the contest of faith, which contest is marked by its beauty of technique. That's what he meant when he said, fight the good fight. What he was actually saying was fight But be good at it. Be good at it. What makes it a good fight? When you're good at it. And he said in this other translation, be constantly engaged in this contest of faith, which this contest which is marked by the beauty of its technique. I don't know if you've ever watched professional fighters, but there's something about the way they move. 
float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, right? Just move and grow. And it's honestly, there's a grace to it. Now, I don't know if this is something to brag about or not. I've never been in a fight. Somehow I made it through elementary and high school and beyond without ever actually getting in a fight. I got hit a couple of times, but I don't think it counts as a fight if you don't swing back. So I've never actually been in a fight. That's not to say I haven't practiced. Come on, anybody else? I'm looking for some honest men in here who have ever stood in the mirror, looked at the man in the mirror and said, you talking to me? You talking to me? I don't like your tone. You, you practice, right? You start throwing punches. You talking to me? You're looking just at a mirror talking back to you. And that's fine for a little while. But Paul, he said, I fight, thus, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. When you're just mouthing off in the mirror, what, what's happening? You're just beating the air. And the problem with beating the air is you never make contact. And if you never make contact, you never leave an impact. And that's not the way we're called to fight. There is actually a technique to the fight of faith. And it's not just arms flailing. It's not just throwing up any old prayer and hoping it sticks. There's some technique to the fight of faith. And all the training you need is here in this book. You can learn how to fight the good fight, how to fight and be good at it. That's how you win the fight of faith, to be good at it. But in connection with fighting that good fight, what did he say? Lay hold. Listen once again from the Weast. Be constantly engaging in the contest of faith. Which contest is marked by its beauty of technique? Take possession of the eternal life into a participation of which you were called and concerning which you gave testimony to your agreement with the good news or the good profession you made in the presence of many witnesses. Lay hold. Take possession. Then if you fast forward just a few verses, same chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 18. Do we have that? Can we put that on the screen? I want everybody to see that. I know I didn't give you my verses in time. That may not be possible. But you've got a Bible. You can find it. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Notice what he said. We'll back up. Verse 17. He said, Command those who are rich in this present age. See, that was a good opportunity for you to say, he's talking to me. But notice many people don't say that. They come to verses that talk to rich people and think he's talking to somebody else. But when he says, command those who are rich in this age, you and I ought to say, well, I need to pay attention. He's, he's talking to me. And what is he going to tell you? Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, But in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy, let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. There's those same words again. Lay hold. Take possession. 
Listen to it from the New Living Translation. He said, by doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Now, if I preach this in any other church and they don't get excited, fine, whatever. But if I'm standing on the platform behind the pulpit at True Life Church and a church that has said, what is it they say? We exist that others may experience what? What did this verse say? So that they may experience true life. That's the way he translated laying hold. The way he translated laying hold was experience. Faith lays hold of what's in the realm of the Spirit made provision by the grace of God and it brings it into this life so you experience it. I'm not talking about just talking true life. I'm not talking about just talking grace. I'm talking about experiencing grace. Bringing it into the realm of experience. That requires you to do what? Lay hold of it. Take possession of it. And faith does that. You've got access to all of it. Now, this is what I believe the Lord wanted me to say to you tonight, specifically for this body. This body of believers, and I know we do have some guests tonight, but I want you just to join your faith with with this family. You guys have released faith for your next place. For the increase of the church, for a new building, a place to call your own. And do you know it took some boldness to do that? It takes some boldness to stand up and say, we're going for it. And we're believing and we're trusting God for it. And there are times, and I've been there myself, when you look at what God's called you to do, and you look back at the bank account, and then you look back at what He's called you to do, and then you look back at the bank account, and you think, something doesn't stack up. But do you realize... This is why people run from vision instead of towards it. What did Proverbs 28.1 say? The, the, the wicked run when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold. Why would the Scripture, I guess that same place in Proverbs, talk to us about, in talking to us about vision, why would he have to say things like, Without vision, people perish. Other translations say, without revelation, people cast off restraint. We think of perishing as dropping dead. But he's not saying, hey, if you don't have vision, be careful because your heart's about to stop. It's It's not about dropping lifeless to the floor. He's saying without vision, you got nothing to live for. So why would anybody... Choose to live a life without vision. Well, I believe it's because at the first glimpse they get, they they see, especially if it's a vision from God, it's something beyond them. It's something way beyond their own ability to meet the need of it. And they look at it and it just seems so far away. Lord gave me an example of this one time when our kids were little. We had taken them to to Florida, to the Magic Kingdom. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Magic Kingdom. 
And I never left wondering what was so magic about that. <laughs> oh, it's magic. It is magic. I mean, you tell me where else, where else can you go spend all your money, right? Walk around dripping in sweat, and then all of a sudden it rains on you, but not like a cool, refreshing rain, like a this is miserable rain, and then you try to eat there, and it costs even more money. You go thousands of dollars in debt for lunch, and right? And then you stand in line all day, and then what well, you think, well, where's the magic? The magic is six months later when you look at your wife and go, we should do that again. <laughs> That's magic. Like black sorcery magic. But we had gone to the magic kingdom. And if, if you've ever been, you know you, you're not allowed to leave until you have seen the nine o'clock parade at night. So we're going to the parade, but we were not the hardcore Disney people that get to the nine o'clock parade at like 630. So you have a good seat along Main Street. We show up a couple of minutes before this thing starts. We're so far back in the crowd. The kids are little, right? So if my kids are going to see anything, particularly my little girl, I mean, she was just a couple of years old at the time. If she's going to see anything, what's going to have to happen? And you know exactly what happened. Daddy, right, he's got to reach down, lift her up, pick her up, and bring her up to my eye level. Now, I think we grown-ups forget what it was like to live down there. We forget what it was like to live when everything was in your way. You couldn't see over nothing. Your whole vision in life was kneecaps, man. You just couldn't see over, couldn't see past, couldn't see around, and you just live life down there. And that's where she was destined to be unless and until daddy picks her up and brings her up to my eye level. But something interesting happened that night at the parade. In the few minutes before it started, you know, everything looked normal, sounded normal. There was kind of a rumble in the crowd. But all at once, the lights go down. It gets dark. Laser lights come on. Strobe lights are flashing. Now there's smoke in the air and bubbles in the air. And the music is loud and it's thumping. And it's. if you look at her, her eyes just get as big as saucers. This is like sensory overload to her. And coming down Main Street are sights and sounds she's never seen before. Things so unfamiliar to her that at one point during the parade, she actually buried her face in my chest out of fear. And I'm thinking, maybe there's nothing to be afraid of. But put yourself back in their place. If you're two years old and you've never seen any of this before, for all you know, that's an actual six-foot mouse <laughs> in a top hat and cane tap dancing right at you. What do you do with that? That's all new information to you, man. You don't know how to process that. Now, why am I not afraid? Huh? We're looking at the same thing, but I'm not afraid. I have not buried my head in fear. Why? Because what I see is a starving college kid in a mouse costume. What she sees is an impending threat to her life. We're looking at the same thing, 
but we're not looking at it in the same way. I understand something about it she doesn't understand. And the Lord used that to describe to me what happens in many of our lives when He, being the faithful Father that He is, reaches down, picks you up, and even for just a moment, you are up at His eye level. And you are seeing out above and beyond things you've ever seen before. And you're getting a glimpse of, the vi- of your future and the vision that He has for you. Now the thing is, you might be looking at the same thing He's looking at, but you're probably not seeing it the same way He sees it. And when people get a glimpse of that, instead of being bold and running towards it in faith, they turn and run from it in fear. How am I going to meet that need? How could I ever go from where I am to that? How could I ever be that when I am this? And so instead of running towards it in faith, they run, it, they run from it in fear. But it takes some boldness to take steps towards what God has called you to do, what He's called you to be, and listen, what He's called you to have. And this body of believers has released faith together for what you know He wants you to have. Don't get stuck in that cycle of looking at it and looking back to try to meet the need yourself. But be encouraged when you don't have what it takes to meet the need. I've started to figure out that's a good way for me to tell I'm actually hearing from God. Oh, it's more than I can reach in my pocket and take care of? Must be Him. Right? Must be Him. Because who gets the glory for it? If all it takes is me pulling out my wallet, I wasn't thinking big enough. You all have released faith for the next place. It took boldness to do that. It's going to take some boldness to lay hold of it. To take possession of it. And the example the Lord gave me, and I'll, I'll take you here and we'll begin to wrap it up with this. Go to the Old Testament with me. Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. While you're turning there, listen to this. Philippians 3.12 Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. The New Living Translation says it like this. I press on to possess. I press to possess. You got to be bold to lay hold, and you've got to press to possess. He said, he said it like this in the Amplified Bible Not that I've already now attained this ideal or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of and grasp and make my own that for which Christ Jesus, the Messiah, has laid hold of me and made me his own. All these things are just different ways of articulating what it means to lay hold, to grasp it, to possess it, to experience it. Devon, I'll just ask you as the representative of this congregation, are you ready for the building to be not just something you're talking about, but something you're experiencing? Amen. It's going to take some boldness, church. It's going to take some boldness to possess it. In Numbers chapter 13... Are you okay? Can you take just a minute more here? 
You're familiar with this story and how the Lord had brought His people out of the land of Egypt. But you know, He didn't just bring them out for the sake of bringing them out. He wanted to take them in. Take them into the promised land. And actually in the book of Deuteronomy, He said it like this, chapter 1, verse 21, Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. Take it. You could say, take hold of it. He said, as the Lord your God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. Why? Because it takes boldness to possess it. It takes some courage to lay hold of it. In Numbers chapter 13, Moses was gathering some men to send them in to Canaan and to spy out the land. In verse 17, it says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains. See what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. Whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage. Bring some of the fruit from the land. Now he sent them to check out this land. He sent them to spy it out. He sent them to, on a fact-finding mission, if you will. But if you go back and look through everything He assigned them to do, nowhere in there did He say to them, and come back and tell us whether we can have it or not. But that's what's motivating most people as they look, as they scout it out. And it's a good thing to scout it out, whatever God's called you into. I know your pastor, he and I talk all the time. He's constantly looking. He's looked at buildings. He's looked at properties. He's looked at land. He's out there checking it out. Is it a good land? What's it like there? What can it provide for us? He's checking it out. Moses sent these guys to go check it out, but nowhere did he say and come back and tell us if we can have what God said he's already given us. He said, go check it out. So you know the story. They did. Verse 25 says they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So they got a good look at it. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation. Isn't that interesting? Refers to them as a congregation. That's who I'm talking to tonight. A congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told them and said, we went to the land where you sent us. Yeah. Truly, it flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. Verse 28, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. They are going through reason after reason after reason of why they can't have what God told them to go get. I'm going to tell you something. When you get a glimpse of the vision and the plan and the destiny that God's called you to, there will always be a reason you can't have it. There will always be a bad report. There will always be an opposing opinion. Always. There will always be a reason for you to run from it in fear instead of to it in faith. You can always find something. This is why we're going to have to change the way we think about some things. Have you ever heard anybody say this? Devon, I know you have. Stacey, I know you have. 
I pastor like you guys do, and I've heard it too. Pastor, I got a, I got a doctor's appointment on Friday. I want you to believe with me for a good report. Well, what's wrong with that? The, the Word never told you to believe for a good report. The Word said this is the good report. So what are you going to do if they give you a report and it's not good? Now what are you going to do? See, you should have made up your mind before you ever went in there. I have a good report. Who will believe the report of the Lord? I know it sounds like I'm being nitpicky, but the thing is, you will always have to deal with a report that's not the one you want to hear. You're always going to have to deal with giants in the land. And that's what these guys came back. They said, oh, yeah, it's a good place. We checked it out, man. It's nice. It's real nice. They got fruit there the size of your head. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah, it's a good land. But... You know, they've got walls. So, no, listen, like tall walls and tall people, really tall people. So, yeah, I guess we're not going in there. No way we can go in there because, they, you know, they got these people that live there and those other people that live over there. And those people that live there don't like us. And they don't like what we look like, so we can't, we can't go there. That's, that's really kind of a Canaanite community. And <laughs> excuse after excuse, reason after reason of why you can't have what He's already given. Are you telling me there's some natural reason that prevents and prohibits me from taking possession of what He's already given me complete access to? That doesn't even make sense. I got access to all of it. I got access to the grace that saves. I've got access to the grace that heals. I've got access to the grace that delivers. I've got access to the grace that restores. I've got access to church building grace. I've got access to new building grace. I've got access to new land grace. I've got access to grace and favor with people who can do unheard of things for me. And you telling me there's something that's slapping my hand and saying, you can't have that. You can't have that. Don't you believe it for a second? That there's something you can't have that God has already given. Grace has given everything you need and you've got access to all of it. But what you're seeing right here is the very thing that kept these people from taking possession. But in the middle of it, you come to verse 30 and this guy Caleb speaks up. And it says, then Caleb quieted the people. That's probably a very biblical and polite way of saying what he said. Y'all shut up! And you know you got to do this? You have got to shut up and shut down every unbelieving voice, every voice of doubt, every voice of fear that would try to talk you out of laying hold and gaining access to everything that God's already given you by His grace. you got to shut that stuff down. Jesus did it. He walked into Jairus' house when his little girl was laying there dead. And everybody's weeping and wailing and crying. 
And he says, why do you weep? She's not dead. She's asleep. And they begin to ridicule him and put him to scorn. And you know what the Bible says? It's one of my favorite places in all the Bible. Jesus put them all outside. I read that and think, you can do that? You can do that. You can take every unbelieving voice in your life. And I don't care if it's friend or family. You don't have to be mean or rude about it. But if you are standing, and especially if you are standing in a life or death situation, or like you're standing right now as a church, where your destiny is on the line. If there is an unbelieving voice in your life, you have permission from Jesus to say, listen, if you can't get on board with me in this, then I'll talk to you later. You and I can talk after I'm walking in this victory. But I cannot have any voice coming into me that is an opposing Opinion to what I'm standing and believing God for. What's Caleb doing? Stop it. Stop it. Y'all shut up. Be quiet. Be quiet. It says, verse 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and do what? Do what? Let's lay hold of this thing. Let's take possession. Why? For we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with them said, We are not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than us. How is this possible? You got Caleb and Joshua, and then you got the other ten, and they all went to the same place, spent the same amount of time in that place, all saw the exact same thing, but came home with very different reports. How's that possible? Hmm? You have got to decide which one of these 12 you are. Because the way you respond to the report, you hearing me? The way you respond to people telling you it's impossible, whether it's a banker, a lawyer, a doctor, all of them saying there's nothing that can be done. The way you respond to that will determine whether or not you ever take possession of it. And if all those professionals were honest, they wouldn't say there's nothing more that can be done. They'd just say there's nothing more I can do. It's not true that there's nothing more that can be done. They all saw the same thing. They saw the same giants. They saw the same walls. Most of them came home and said, we can't do it. These two said, we are well able. We're well able to overcome them. And they said, no, we're not able. They're stronger than us. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. <laughs> Moses. Notice he didn't say any there, anywhere in there, I'm believing for a good report. Didn't matter what the report was. <laughs> God had already given them the land. But they brought a bad report. Anyway, it goes on to say, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people. Whom we saw in it are men of great stature. All these tall guys again. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. There's the problem. They saw themselves small. 
they saw themselves small. And the order they set it in was correct. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in theirs. The limitations they had set in the way they saw themselves, they said, because we see ourselves this way, that's how they see us. Does that sound like boldness or fear? So all the congregation, chapter 14, verse 1, lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if, we only, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? What's that? Going back. Going back. Not running to it in faith, running from it in fear. And you know you're deceived when you're looking going, man, Egypt sure sounds good. Are you kidding? You were slaves there. You were somebody else's possession there. You didn't own the clothes on your back. What are you going back to? They're deceived. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly and the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. They spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us. Just give it to us. That's what grace is. Grace is a gift. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they're our bread. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. What are they saying? We're with Him. We're with Him. He's with us. Don't fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Have you ever found that when faith really shows up in a room, people do one of two things. They either get on board with it or they get mad at it. And oftentimes they get mad at it because it shows up their own unbelief. It shows up their own lack of faith. And I finally, did, excuse me, I finally discovered in life this is what I've experienced my entire childhood. I grew up in a home and around a ministry that believed big time in the goodness of God. Believed that God was so good He would save you. Spirit, soul, heal your body, restore your family, even prosper you financially. And it was that last part right there <laughs> that has been ticking people off for my entire life. And I finally have discovered what it is that's making them mad. And I don't know if they know it or not. It's just that we over here who are crazy enough to believe that God would do all that for you, our faith is showing them up. We're believing something they don't dare believe. So don't let it make you mad when it makes them mad. It happens. It happens. And the people sought to stone him. But I, this is what I want you to see. And we're going to wrap it up with this. Verse 11. 
the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I've performed among them? When we fail to boldly access by faith what grace has provided, He takes it personally. If we run from it in fear and not to it in faith, He takes it as a personal rejection. I'm not interested in rejecting Him. I don't want to hear Him say to me, why have you rejected me? I haven't rejected you, Lord. I made provision for this for you. Yeah, but it was too much. I couldn't pay for it. So I ran from it. That's a personal rejection of Him. And you know how personally the Lord took us, took this. He told Moses this entire generation is going to fall dead in this wilderness. And not one of them are going in except Caleb. And the Lord spoke. And He said in verse 30, except for Caleb. Well, back up. He said, they certainly, verse 23, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him. Oh, come on. Were you here? I know it was an hour ago, but do you remember what I tell you? You're different. You're called to be different. He said, Caleb's got a different spirit in him and has followed me fully and I'll bring him into the land where he went. He's going to possess it. Why? He's got that different spirit in him. And when everybody else is running from it in fear, he's running to it in faith. I sought the Lord about this this afternoon, church. I thought, Lord, I know you're telling me Go in there and tell them, be bold to lay hold. I'm looking for some how here. Give me some practical things. How, how, how. And as a preacher, as a minister, as a pastor, I feel like I'm constantly before the Lord like, okay, but how, how, how. And he reminds me so often that the how will come. But what he's aiming at is what you believe. The how's going to come. What has to change is what you believe. Do you believe, church, God is good enough, faithful enough, and has provided access to a new place, a new home for this family? Because that's what He's aiming at. I'm going to have to get some faith on the inside of you. Yeah, the how will come. I'll give you the how, but I can't give you the how until we've got the heart right. How follows heart. And what He's looking for is this spirit that was in Caleb. We are well able. Can you stand up with me? I just want to make a simple declaration of faith tonight. You say this after me. We are well able. Now think about what you're saying. Because any bank that came in here to meet with your pastor about a new building, a new land or whatever, they'd look at you, they'd look at the size, And they'd say what? You're not able. But what does a different spirit say? We are well able. Anybody else looking at anything through the natural? 
would give you reason after reason after reason, report after report, to try to tell you you're not able. But what does a different spirit say? No, we are well able. And yeah, it's going to be beyond what you've got the ability to meet the need of just reaching into your own pocket. This doesn't have to come out of your own pocket. You've been faithful to sow. You're making good progress, and the Lord's going to honor that. But He's about multiplication. He's about doing things that with men are impossible. But we're not with men. We're with Him. I'm with Him. I'm with Him. Why don't you say it? I'm with Him. He's with me. Father, we thank You for Your Word tonight. I pray, Lord, that I've honored you in delivering this and, and what I've left out or what I failed to say Lord you are good your Holy Spirit is more than capable of, of bringing revelation and the light of revelation everything we have need of and Father I'm just here tonight to add friendship and add faith and add support to this family and to stand with you and believe God with you that He knows what you have need of and He's already provided for it. I'm just encouraging you tonight, church. Be bold. Be bold. Be strong. Be courageous. For the Lord your God is with you. Now, I don't know all the hows of it, but I do know there's a place coming. I do know it'll be right on time. But I also know it's going to take some boldness to lay hold of it. It's going to take some uncommon confidence rising up on the inside of you to lay hold by faith of what grace has provided. So when you see it, don't run from it. When you see it, run towards it. Run towards it. Glory to God. Glory to God. I don't know right now if you're, if you're personally or in your family are staring down the barrel of an impossible situation, but I'm going to encourage you with the same word. You are well able to overcome it. Let us go up at once and take possession. And the Spirit of the Lord would say to you tonight, come up at once to the throne of grace and take possession of all my mercy, all my grace to help you in the time of need. Come up, come up, come up at once and come boldly. I've got grace for everything you need. My hand has provided it. Your hand of faith will lay hold of it and it will be yours and you will experience true life. You have been listening to the ministry of Devon Alexander, pastor of True Life Fellowship Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more information, go to our website at www.truelifefc.org. You can also support this ministry financially through our website. Thank you. And remember to love, learn, live, and lead.